co-hosting Elkelangelo. And I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. With that being said, let's get into today's topic. Table readings, readings, workshops. I think those are all of them. Yeah. Your <laughs> first, what is the word? Is it incana- incarnation? Incarnation. Incarnation of a project. Yes. And one, I'm with the theater that I'm currently working at. We are doing like three readings, technically four readings right now. And it's, there's such an interesting process when it comes to readings, but I've also got some table reads. Uh, Danielle and I both have done workshops of shows and like, mm-hmm. there's such, they're, one, they're all different, but they're also so important to the overall process of making plays and musicals. Uh, but we never really have like broken down what, why we have them, what their purpose is and whatnot. So we thought we'd break them down for you now. Yeah. So the yeah. first and most simple one to start with is a table read. So a table read, literally you might have no production, anything involved. Um, it's typically like a lot of times a table read will just be the playwright and some of their friends. Um, but there are there are some cases, uh, my theater is one of them, but I know a couple of the theaters that do like official table reads where they get the playwright, a couple of actors in the room, and usually it'll be a director, not someone that's actually directing it then, but just a director in the room to hear it. Or, you know, sometimes it'll be a couple of producers or just, just people that can give smart uh, criticism, both good and bad, to hearing the play out loud for the first time or maybe for the second time, um, table reads are typically very, very early on in the process. Um, And it's literally just to hear words on page, the words leave the page. Um, I've done done plenty of table reads for things and I find them so much fun because it's so like, this is where you're finding typos. This is where you're realizing that certain scenes weren't finished being written. Like they're so natural and raw that you kind of you kind of still get the raw elements of just creating. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? Do you have any experiences and things like that you want to talk about with just table reads? Yeah, I mean, so table reads, I would agree um, that, yeah, table reads usually are when you literally sit around a table and kind of get, yeah, like friends or people you know to partake in them. Um, I've seen and I've been invited to readings that have taken place on stages like in theaters where then literally it'll be like the microphones and they'll be on stools with their binders and it'll be like an invited audience Mm -hmm. to listen. I think usually with those, it's usually a bigger production team, a bigger production, something that you would think most likely if we're talking in terms of theater, go off Broadway or Broadway. The one that I'm specifically speaking to, it ended up being an off Broadway show um and so it and you know it depends on like who the composers are who the writers are um but those are really cool too the the ones that kind of take place like on a stage or in a room that has like an invited audience are super important because and we'll dive into this like seeing the audience 
Prince's reaction to characters and writing and songs and storylines is great. Um, but then it can also just be a non-invited around the table where it's just, you know, the writer really wants to hear the words out loud and hear them done by actors. And that's usually when you'll get like, oh, can some of my friends do it or friends of friends or, you know. You'll get stuff. your living living room table reads, which I do exactly. Um, so to, when they're on stage, so this is where table reads or sometimes they're just flat out readings and they're called readings because actors music stands stools or chairs are standing but it's actors and a music stand and the script in hand yeah i was gonna say the binder it's literally like Mm -hmm. no costumes no lights no set it's no choreography Mm -hmm. no staging at all it's just like on a stool or at a table with your binder and with and i so that's currently what we're doing where they're like and people are invited like they're open to the public but they're literally at music stand standing, or I think the one this weekend, they're actually sitting down as they read things. But like this one is literally for audience reaction. And I think this one is more common and typically with musicals or plays with music. Um, just because, or a lot, I, I shouldn't say that, straight plays also have a good portion of the, good many of these as well. But like, these are just for, you need an audience to know how certain scenes will work. Like audiences, always surprise you in both good and bad ways so I think it's just it's very important to have an audience for these types of readings Mm -hmm. um to find out what jokes land or find like are they waiting for a payoff because you also get audience feedback Mm -hmm. and that is where I think readings get the most that I think this is where audiences get the most input on plays and musicals is because they're able to give their input because I know for us we did a digital program because of COVID. Um, but we also like sent the email being like, hi, we would love your feedback on the play that you saw. Yes. Now I've actually, I've actually been or, like, to, go ahead. I was going to say, I've actually been to readings as well, where they'll have you like fill out a quick little survey card, like at the theater, or they'll mm-hmm. send you an email after and be like, please give us feedback because they really want to know what the audience thought. Because again, a successful show is going to be successful because of ticket sales and people mm-hmm. coming to the show, right? And the monetary value behind it makes it makes it successful. So, you know, they want to make sure that what, what they're doing is going to drive toward that goal. And like, it also could be, because like, I know before we even had an audience on a reading I was working on, we were discussing like a major edit to like the overall structure of the play or like how one character we only saw three times and we're like, no, we need to see him more or maybe this character less. And like, we were already kind of leaning on the fence. And then when we got an audience in front of them and we were not like just in the moment, like reaction to certain characters, certain characters they love and other characters they were like, "Eh." and I was like, oh, but we don't want them to hate this character. We need to see this character more. You know, so, and then like some of the feedback, it was like, oh, this is totally what I was already thinking. Okay, we're leaning in the right direction anyway, because a lot of our audience is also feeling the exact same way that we felt being in the rehearsal room. So I think those things definitely matter on the grand, like the grand scheme of things. Um, And how, yeah, how things are just broken down and dealt with. So I think it's very, very important to get that audience feedback. You know, especially because, like I said, for readings and uh, readings, like audiences are not typically very large for readings. Um, 
Yeah, say like even with us, we have open to the public, but like readings are typically smaller because you do want audience feedback and you do want reaction. So we do typically have much smaller audiences for readings. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry if anyone heard anything in the background. That's the annoying motorcycles that run through the street outside of my apartment at night. New York City. Woo! Um, that are so loud. My window's closed. That's fine. Again, New York City. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the monster of all of them. And I've done enough of these that like I pick and choose my battles with these guys. Workshops. So I think that workshops are so fun. They can be a monster for sure. But yeah, I think they're so fun because it is like the time to like play and explore. Yes. And that's when you like bring in the choreographer yep. and you even potentially like bring in the director. Cause sometimes a lot of times at readings, there won't even be a director. It'll just be like the playwright and, oh, yeah. um, and like the composers and stuff. Sometimes again, depending on the scale of it and what the, what the playwright and the composers want, um, there could be a director, but sometimes there's not. Um, yeah. But, it's very readings are typically very stripped down. Yes, exactly. And it's it's just fun because it's the first time that the show's actually getting on its feet. Because like we said, you're not even staging anything in a reading. So I think workshops can be so fun and you get to be part of this like beginning process of creating this thing. Um, however, they can be a monster because this is also something that you want to be able to present to producers and, and potential yep. um investors right to get to be able to move on to the next stage of the project and that is a lot of pressure to be like hey here's a thing that is literally coming from nothing it's coming from thin air it's coming from pages on a script mm -hmm. and now we have to like build it and do all the things to make it incredible and at the same time it's still not a full production so you're not getting sets yeah. and you're not getting costumes most likely right it's still pretty bare but you have to make it look spectacular Yes, because you hit it on the head. Workshops are the last stage before productions. So we in this workshop, we need to know, does Elphaba fly? Like, right. is this a six minute dance number here? Because like a lot of times you're right, Choreography, this is why I say they're a monster because every workshop I've been a part of, they had us learning full out harmonies there was one workshop I did of a show where like we did a weekend worth of performances where we opened to the public where literally we staged all but one number in the show, like full on choreo. Yeah. Audience interaction for everything except for the closing number. And we created choreo for the closing number, but literally it was like, we were running out of time before we were going to have audiences. And as a cast, we all went to our director and choreographer and we're just like, we don't have enough time. Like we like you got like three or four major dance numbers in this. Can we just like park and bark for this closing number? Right. And they were literally like, absolutely. But like yeah. literally we like we were running that workshop like damn near like it was a show. But like I also it's not the first time I've heard that. But like you do like that's where you go. Oh, this is where a giant tap number happens and you have an ensemble come on and tap. Like mm -hmm. workshops are where you literally have to, you got to make it shine because this is where the money people are watching. Yeah. Like are, are the jokes landing? Like this, is, there are uh, almost always directors for workshops because it's one of those things of the materials got to hit a certain way so that theaters 
theater companies and producers are being like, yes, we want this at oh, our absolutely. theater. And yes, usually, we want to put this on a ta- on tour out of town. Right. And usually with re- um, workshops, excuse me, usually with workshops, it again will be um, an invited performance. And usually a lot of times it's like family and friends of mm-hmm. the creative team and the performers because it's just like easiest. And then, and then include, so friends and family of the creative team and performers to get bodies in. And then it'll be, you know, investors, producers, you know, Mm -hmm. theater companies, stuff like that. Or sometimes it's just those people. Um, Because there are, I will say there are instances where theater companies can commission a new play or musical. Mm -hmm. And so it will literally just be like one specific theater's people there for the show. And it's not open to the public. Cause I've been, I've been to a couple like pre Broadway workshops, like shows or concepts Mm -hmm. that like, they weren't sure where they're going to go. Cause I'll fit. I did not, I could not attend this one. I'm very sad, but uh, the greatest showman was workshopped to be a something and then they were like, oh, it's actually a movie. But like, there are, there are clips you can find online where literally it's like, Cynthia Riva was like singing in one of the workshops because it was out in Brooklyn at one of the studios. Brooklyn? It might've been in Manhattan, but I think it was Brooklyn. Can't remember. But it was like, it was they were workshopping it like it was a musical that was going to hit Broadway. Yeah. And then somewhere along the way, everyone was like, oh, it's a movie. Yeah. I mean, that's even yeah. something where I've literally seen stuff that I think they are still now trying to remake it into a sh- uh, musical. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a lot, a lot of times um, I would say that, yeah, you will find a more public workshop if it's something where it's like, we have this thing and we're going to go do it at a theater in Brooklyn. Right. And then it'll like, we'll sell tickets, but we'll make sure everyone knows that it's a workshop because mm-hmm. that way too, people are understand and are under, under the impression that you might not have a set or a full set or full costumes or full numbers mm-hmm. for certain things. Right. But a lot of times they are closed to the public yeah. um so and that's just for like because it's also like especially depending on how big of a name or project it is they do it just for proprietary reasons because like i remember book of mormon i i remember fret because i had friends that were in the original company i remember when they were workshopping it the ndas for the workshops of Book of Mormon, and to be, for those that are not familiar, Book of Mormon is written by the creators of South Park. So, in the process, I am a fan of these people. Let me be very clear. Mm-hmm. It's written by the people. It, it's, it's written by the creators of South Park and it's, the creators of Avenue Q. Yeah, it's Matt uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And B R J B. I can't remember the name. Creator. Yeah, there's Avenue like one Q. more person who does the. Musical. It's, it's the Avenue Q guy. Guy from Avenue Q. I see his face, but I can't remember. Bobby. I can't remember. But like. In the and they said this, my friends that were in the workshop said this, which is why the NDA was so airtight. They were like in the process of finding the funny jokes, they had to make some not so funny jokes that are just blatantly offensive. And mm-hmm. if you know anything about South Park or the musical The Book of Mormon, there's a very fine line that they teeter and it still angers some people. Um, so they were like, we're gonna write bad jokes and bad songs, but like we need to be able to do this to get to the good stuff. But if we release a song that gets out to the public that is like terrible, no, we're not ready for that until we're ready for that. Yeah. You know, or, or the same thing, or sometimes it's like a surprise because Wicked, as big as Wicked blew up, Wicked, like, no, Wicked did not get big until it was like audiences that make Wicked big. Like so it was word of I, mouth. 
I actually have a funny story about that. So I was at a reading when I was a teenager, like a young teenager, like maybe like 14 or 15. I think I was like 15. I think I was a freshman in high school. Um, I was at a closed reading, an invited reading, and um, Stephen Schwartz was there. And I don't, did he write this, the music for the, sh- for the show we were at the reading for? I don't think he did. I'm going to look it up right now. But anyway. You um, never know. <laughs> you literally never know. They, there, And that's also the thing. There are so many projects that like go to readings and workshops that never make full production or don't make production until years later that you never hear about. Yeah. But anyway, so I was at this, I was at this reading. I was at the reading for children's letters to God, it, the musical that went off Broadway. And he yeah. was, um, he was there. And before the reading started, he was like, Oh, I'm working on a new musical. And I would love to like play you guys a song again, close. Nice. And he played, um, he played one of the songs from Wicked. I think it was um, popular because I feel like I remember like, what is this feeling so sudden and new or loathing? That's what I think he played. And I remember him saying the name of it or what it was going to be about briefly. And he played the song. And then years later, my mom's like, oh, the show Wicked, it's going to be amazing. We're listening to the music. And I was like, holy shit, we heard that song Mm -hmm. years ago. Years ago, yep. on a piano to Stephen Schwartz singing, and like you know, it like doesn't have a great voice, and just mumbling through what he thinks the lyrics are going to be. So anyway, that's my funny story about Wicked. But I mean, it's it's literally like that though. We're literally because again, as crazy, who wants to hear a story about the Wicked Witch from The Wizard of Oz? Like it's it's one of those things of like no one thought it was going to do really good or yeah. a lot sometimes he did not do the Stephen Schwartz did not do the music for children's letters to God so I'm not really sure why he was there but he was there <laughs> at the reading probably for okay, like an t- investment opportunity right or like I say a friend of the writers or you never right. like, exactly. I bumped into so many it. random yeah. people being like well, why are you here yeah um or like their third cousin removed is in the cast like you never know yeah in this bloody city but like when it comes to workshops it really is like that we're like they got to test things out. Like they don't know. Like I know one of the big things for Wicked was literally being like, is she going to fly? How is she going to fly? What does she look like when she fly? Are we going to fly her every night? Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. You know? So it, it happens or literally sometimes, oh my God, hairspray. Hair and hairspray for the long, basically up to previews. It didn't change until previews, but literally they were in the workshops. Tracy was like turned into like a sexy, like a uh, uh, posh girl at the end of hairspray. So the big closing number, she had this like bone straight wig. She's in like this tight sequin dress. So like a la, a la grease kind of. Basically, but like think, think 60s. So think like 60s right. hot, attractive girl. Like that's what they dressed her as. And literally it stuck all through the workshops. I'm pretty sure there's a couple preview clips well, it's been so long now that they may be gone from the internet. But there's a couple clips and previews where they kept doing it and they kept trying to force it. And everyone was like, nope, this is the closing finale of Hairspray. Why is her hair so small? Right. And so literally they had to go back and revamp. So like, there's all kinds of things that you like test out. I'm pretty sure that's how, in Big Dollhouse, that's how they got to a tap number as well for the big dollhouse is that they were like, oh, this number's falling flat. We need something. So like, 
it's how you discover costume it's how you discover or cut characters a lot of times in mm-hmm. workshops mm-hmm. Um, like yeah what show was that i can't remember there was like a whole character cut in like the workshop phase because it was like oh yeah that's or or they'll be in the workshop and then they'll get cut for the actual production shrek yeah there was the dragon in shrek was originally one person and uh they in in the workshops it wasn't working so they cut the dragon and turned it into like an ensemble of like four or five people yeah so like there's all kinds of changes and adjustments that happen in the workshop just after hearing having audiences hear it. Yeah. You know, they're just really, they're really important. And I would say like, if you are writing a musical or a play, even if you're like, oh, I don't have money, you can do a table read with your friends, right? Oh, yeah. And you can have other friends and other people who know arts or don't know art to come watch it and give yes. you feedback. You can do yep. a workshop, right? If you have enough money to rent a studio or mm-hmm. for a few hours or a theater space and you do a couple, you know, you do a bunch of rehearsals, like you literally pay the 30 bucks an hour, you do a bunch of rehearsals in a studio and then you do the workshop in the studio, no costumes, no set. Those are important if you actually want to have a production and a piece that you think that has monetary value and success you know, somewhere in the world. Oh yeah. Because I would even say, so one, there are lots of theater companies. Readings are cheap. Readings and workshops are cheap. Yeah. Uh, workshops can get a little pricey, but readings for sure are cheap. I say this as an artistic director, readings are cheap. So most theater companies, if you send them a script and a nice letter, which I have so many I need to read right now as we speak and are like, Hey, I've got to play. I would love to do a reading of it. If you say reading, I'm already kind of peaked up because you're not expecting for me to throw a lot of money at it. You're just expecting to hear things. Yeah. And for me, if I read it and I'm like, eh, meh, maybe, then I'm probably going to do a reading of it, a table read or a, possibly a reading because I know I might hear, some, it, I might react differently when I see it in first, see it in person. But also, I worked at a theater company where a lot of times new playwrights would send us videos of readings that they've had of a previous reading, like, and it literally will be a living room reading or a table read, or it will literally be, I rented a studio, I got some friends together, here's a video of it, so if you don't want to read it, you can watch it or listen That's a to great it. idea, though, too, because then you could also see, like, how it sounds on other people. Oh, yeah, and again... There's, there, there was one script that I was reading where uh, they sent a video and I was like reading along and answering emails. But I was like, this character is not, like, it was a great script. I was like, this is not the right actor to be reading this part at all. But here we are, you know? So it's one of those things of like, those are easy. I shouldn't say easy, but those are opportunities where things can happen for the better. You just have to be a... Uh, I don't want to say be aware of them, but you have to be prepared for them and make the, the best or the most of those opportunities. But I would definitely say if you are serious about writing a script, you definitely need to get it coming out of people's lips. Because it's something I said off the air to Danielle before we started recording, plays are meant to be heard, not read. Yeah. And so subtext, like subtext matters. So a play between a, a play between a mother and daughter. I always think of this doc on play. It's um, it's called Night Mother. And essentially it's very dark. 
the mother. I've definitely heard of this before. Yeah, it's like, I can't remember if it's the mother. I think it's the daughter. I think it's the daughter that's about to commit suicide Mm -hmm. and the mother is trying to stop her. These are adults. It's not children. It's like an adult adult mom and daughter. Well, it's like a two-hander. And like, depending on reading it, you can totally interpret it a different way. Or Mm -hmm. there's another play. I think it's like Dow M M for Murder. And it's like this, someone's being attacked by a killer and they let this back in the day of like rotary phones and like switchboards. They call the wrong number. Yeah. And so the whole time this old one was trying to figure out who's going to kill these people or who's going to die. And there's like this whole murder mystery type of deal. Depending on how you read it, you can totally take it totally serious or you can totally turn it into a comedy farce. You know, but again, when you have actors reading it aloud, you clearly hear which way it's meant to be pushed. And so those those things matter in the long run when you're creating theater, you know? And so though I definitely say for performers, don't be afraid of a good reading and a workshop. You never know what's going to be the next Hamilton. You never know what's going to be the next weekend. Oh, yeah. I would say if you get the opportunity to work on a reading or a workshop, take it. Even if it's like not a lot of money or someone's asking you to do it as a favor, as a first time table read, take it because you have no idea what's going to happen and what's going to come out of it. I've had um, parts written for me because I have a playwright friend that I like, yeah. I, I love her work and I'm always willing to read things for hers. Um, and so literally I, there, I've done like two or three living room table reads where she's like, Hey, can you read this part? And I'm like, yes, I'm here. I'm there. And it's really like, we grab pizza, we grab beer, we pack into her living room and we read this place. She just finished two days ago. Yeah, so she can hear it. No, they're fa- they are fantastic ideas. Like I am, I am all for them. Um, and they don't get talked about enough. I feel like you know, Very like true. so you know, I think it was, you know, people need to be aware that they exist and why they exist, and that like they are important. Well, because you also find creative team partners. Yep. That way, so like for my friends that are budding, and I was saying first of all, if you're like fresh out of college, readings and workshops were are your best friend. They do not take up a lot of time. So you don't typically have to quit whatever job you're doing to make money. Or even if you're in a show, you can typically do the reading and something else. Because mm-hmm. readings, like I, because we're open to the public, our readings are like nighttime. But I've been to plenty of readings at like 2 p.m. in the middle of the day. I was going to say, usually <laughs> sometimes a lot of them will be the middle of the day because they'll, especially if they're a production that already has some sort of backing or, mm-hmm. or notoriety behind it because most of the people they assume are going to be working if it's a theatrical production at night and so the reading will take place during the day and then you can go do your show at night yep so new artists definitely are your best friends but also it's how you find out about choreographers mm-hmm. one of my friends ended up working with camille brown before she made her broadway debut on a on a workshop for a musical that we worked on luckily i did not work on the incarnation with her that he did um i worked on the following version where she had moved on to broadway and left us sadly um but like he got to work with like literally this world-renowned choreographer now before because she knew a knew a friend and worked wanted to do this workshop of this show so like i think just uh josh peck justin peck josh peck who won the tony for carousel for choreographing carousel Justin. Justin? We did a whole episode on him winning a Tony. I'm going to double check right now. But he won for best choreography for, I want to. Carousel. Yes, it was for Carousel. Justin Peck. Justin Peck. Um, But 
like he's done a couple workshops where again, hey, friend, ballet friends, come do this workshop for me. And then here they are. That's why Carousel was littered with ballet dancers. Like granted, mm-hmm. that's how you chose to go in vain with, but also like you never know what friends you are going to get pulled into for what workshops and readings. Yeah. Um, so I strong because a lot of people feel iffy about them because you don't hear it's like Daniel said, you don't hear a lot about them. But if you're definitely new to the game or if you're old in the game, I definitely say spend a little time with workshops and readings, you would definitely be surprised. I agree. That being said, that brings us to our tip of the week. This section is all about where we kind of just give you a tip to help guide you through your week. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a busy season um, so far. I think anyone out there who is a teacher, which I do think a lot of our listeners like do teach dance and theater mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, definitely take some time to yourself. I know we're all feeling it right now. This September has been wild with just like being back full time a lot. Um, Treat your body with care. Know that what you're doing is amazing and everything is appreciated and the kids love you no matter what. And they are learning and growing. Um, That would be my biggest tip right now. My focus has just been on like making sure that my classes are going smoothly, the kids are having fun, they're learning something, they're growing um, and in bite sizes, right? Like little things, mm-hmm. like they're learning one thing new every class. So therefore they're growing and the class is enjoyable for them to come to. So just know that about yourself and remind yourself that it is happening because it can be a lot right now. Um, and again, like shout out to all the teachers and not just the dance and the theater teachers and the mm-hmm. music teachers out there, but the regular teachers, the academic teachers of the world, the other subject teachers that are not necessarily arts related, you got this. My tip would definitely, um, definitely a shout out to our teachers because me and Daniel had a whole conversation about teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to all of my teachers, but I would want it. I would say, and I'm talking to myself as well. When I say this tip, the world changed because of all of what 2020 was and a good portion of what 2021 is being as well. It's okay if you're not the same person and your responses to the world are not the same. So yeah, it's so true. I like something that I just for myself, getting back into the swing of things, choreographing and teaching, I'm a year older (laughs) than I was. So like I was very much on pause for a lot of the pandemic as most artists were. So I'm a year older. Um, I found more grace with myself, more patience with myself. My body takes more time to warm up than it used to. Small little things like we were all not doing, we were all not functioning at that crazy high capacity for almost a year or two years for some people. Mm-hmm. So we're not gonna respond and react the same as we once did before as the world, particularly here in America, tries to very much bulldoze back to where we were it's okay if you're not that person anymore. And I say that in any capacity. Yeah. Artist, we, some of you may not be artists anymore. Some of you might have moved on to different careers or some of you are being like, no, I love it. I came back, but I can't kick as high. I didn't stretch for a year, yeah. you know, or my stamina is not as high. I know for me, it's the stamina issue. My stamina is not as high because for a year I got to sleep in and I wasn't doing 15 hour days. And then I was like, hi, here are 15 hour days. And my body rejected it hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's still a whole panorama that's happening outside. 
So I just say, be kind to yourself and it's okay to not be where you were a year ago, where you were before we did all the self-healing because I'm assuming we all healed and did wonderful things for ourselves during the, the quarantine rest time. So it's okay if you're just not that or if certain jobs are not clicking anymore or if certain relationships aren't clicking anymore. I just say, give yourself the grace to know that uh, life did happen. I know it felt like we didn't do anything for a year, but you still grew and evolved. It's okay if you're just now realizing it once you get back to the craziness for us that is New York City. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. It's okay. These things happen. I agree. All the time. I agree. I also want to just, um, before we close out, we want to say thank you to, to all our listeners. And we know that again, with the beginning of the school year and us, yeah. Tony starting his fantastic artistic director job, me going back to teaching 14 classes a week. Um, we have been, it's been a lot. We have, you know, truthfully been overwhelmed, but we are really excited for where our, um, where this podcast can head and we're excited to dive more into it as the fall continues on. So stick with us. We appreciate you. We've got some awesome stuff coming up. Um, mm. and we just want to say that. So always appreciate you always appreciate those ratings, those likes and those comments. And, um, yeah. Thanks right. listeners. We love you. Yeah. Well, that's it for us. The curtain has closed on this episode, but we hope that you will join us next week and every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We are at Point PYT on all platforms. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Neil Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, the adventures of the NYC dance.